You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. This series is, is about really how to help others um, who are needing help. And I would assume in the class you may go back and forth between things in your own life and your desire to help others. But I would love for us for a little bit of a season during these classes to think a little bit about how really can I be there for others? It says in the in Proverbs that he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And quite frankly, I've only become a more caring person because I've had to. It kind of started with marriage and kids, and that kind of forced me to become a little bit more caring. But then doing what I do, people expected me to actually care about them, and they were paying me to do it, so I had to get better at it. Um, but, but honestly, I didn't choose that. It happened more, in, and in hindsight, I'm really grateful because it's made me just a much better man. And I just don't think with our kind of inborn selfishness that we, we all do what we want to do in terms of caring better for others. So I hope this class helps you to do that. For those of you all coming in, there's a handout if you want to grab it. And we may have, are they almost out? Yeah. There are seats over here if you all want to. So again, the the series is about helping others. And um, I just was encouraging you to to go back and forth between how the material might apply to yourself and then being thoughtful about how can I really use this material to help others. And last week was kind of a general overview where I was talking kind of more about how to get outside yourself and think about others. This week, we're specifically going to talk about depression. So I'm kind of starting with a definition because in our culture, like everything, (laughs) um, depression can, like, it can be over-talked about, it can be under-talked about, it's just good to have some clarity about what, what in fact, are we talking about. So if you go to your handout on the top of page one, I simply say this, depression is a persistent sense of unhappiness, angst, loss of motivation. And I was trying to find unhappiness and angst, like oftentimes there's loneliness in that, but there's also some self-contempt where you're upset at yourself. And so it's it's a harder feeling than just loneliness. It's a deeper feeling than just uh, anxiety. There's more of a foreboding in it. And I was trying to find words that would name it that way. Um, So a persistent sense of unhappiness, angst, loss of motivation in life, that decreases a person's energy to function in different parts of their lives. One of the significant distinguishments between depression and, say, sadness, not that sadness, you know, when you think about someone being sad, you might think they're eating bonbons on the couch versus, I don't know, cleaning the kitchen, although a number of people in sadness feel more anger and clean the kitchen, but that's a different story. Um, (laughs) But depression really affects our functioning from day to day. That's one of the distinguishing things, that it really affects your ability to both connect to others and to have impact in your life the way you would want. Okay. So this state is normally accompanied with feelings of anxiety and self-loathing. All right. When you're not feeling connected to yourself, when there's some level of angst that is bigger than you want it to be, there's often 
often some self-loathing where you upset at yourself. And then there's anxiety because you don't feel like you can accomplish what you can accomplish. I said this last week. We're made, the two big things we're made for is to rule and subdue and to be fruitful and multiply. We're made to make a difference in the world. We're made to be connected. If we're not doing well in general, we're going to be suffering in those areas. Okay? Um, All right. So... Final part of the definition, in addition to emotional problems, those with depression can experience physical symptoms like chronic pain, headaches, back pain, or digestive issues. Because it's chronic and it's somewhat ongoing, it begins to affect uh, a person's physical health. That's different when someone might be grieving the loss of someone and it be more sadness and it can feel a little bit of depression. There's a decrease in functioning, but that doesn't go on off and on for a long period of time where it begins to affect the body, okay? And we'll talk a little bit more about that, all right? Um, And then I'm just going to read this other, because I wanted to differentiate between sadness. Because depression and sadness share similarities, it is important to understand the difference. A person with depression feels a more persistent sense of hopelessness that isn't connected to a specific situation. It's more generalized, okay? The sense of worthlessness and inability to engage normal activities is also more persistent with depression. Depression more negatively impacts daily functioning and is accompanied with more physical symptoms. All right, before we move on, any questions, thoughts on that? Yeah. So, um, is depression also accompanied by a sense of, uh, I got myself here, or, you know what I mean? Yes. A sense of self-responsibility, whatever negative things you're concerned about and sadness. Yeah, that's a, that's a great reflection. We're actually going to talk a little bit more about it. You all, when you experience suffering that's ongoing, all right, that's unexplainable, the most simple explanation is that you're doing something wrong, okay? And, and I want to tell you, your fleshly nature that is enhanced by evil, that works from inside, will be quick to agree with that thought, that you should be doing better or trying harder. If you were, you would not be in the circumstance you're in, okay? But whenever, and we'll talk more about it, but whenever there's a persistent sense of uh, suffering that you can't solve or fix, the most easiest explanation is I'm doing something wrong. We'll look at a passage in a little bit, okay? Um, anybody else? Good good reflection. All right. Um, there I just have the prevalence of depression, just to kind of bring it in context, all right? Over 32 million people in the U.S., and this is a little bit dated, 16% will meet the criteria for depression yearly. This is also important to note, about 35% of individuals who are diagnosed with depression have comorbid substance use disorder, meaning they also have a problems with substance abuse. When I'm teaching my um, MDiv students at Beeson, One of the things I tell them to do is to get information up front if they're going to meet with someone. And if um, their person's parents or grandparents had substance abuse issues, oftentimes that was a a hidden depression. The way we treated depression in the past was with alcohol and substances, okay? So oftentimes you can see, because mental illness, something like depression, can be biological, can be transferred, and oftentimes past generations there's been issues with substance abuse because that's how they treated the depression, okay? So it's common when you're, because someone who, and we'll talk about the types of depression, someone who often develops depression already has a little bit more of a soft heart. You know there's different personalities and different types of people, so someone with depression 
already has a soft heart, and so they feel the depth of the world a little bit more acutely than others, and that can bend them towards doing something that will numb that feeling, like using too much alcohol or whatever it is, okay? So that's just important to remember. Women are diagnosed with depression twice as often as men. That may be in part because men won't talk about it. (laughs) A book I would recommend if you're a man and you want to think about depression Terence Real, he's not a believer, but it's a good, thoughtful book. Um, it's called I Don't Want to Talk About It, and it's about men and depression. Good, thoughtful book, okay? Um, and men's symptoms of depression can present differently than women. Anger and irritability, because they're not going to name and talk about their feelings maybe as much, so they'll act them out with irritability and that type of thing, Okay. Now, there's three primary causes of depression, three kind of ways we get depression. One is simply biological, all right? Your body may not produce as much serotonin as someone else. And guys, please remember, if you and I were looking at an eye chart and I could read the letters and you couldn't read the letters and you got glasses, you would not think you were falsely depending on glasses, okay? You would think the fall has affected my eyesight and the glasses are restorative. Okay, there are people who their bodies don't work the same way inside and they take an antidepressant, which gives them serotonin and their body now functions the way it ought to function. Okay, we call that healing and redemption. We don't call that falsely depending on something. The issue with depression is things like prayer, exercise, those type of things can help with depression where you can exercise as much as you want and your eyesight isn't going to get any better. Okay. So then it's easy to think that's the issue, that you're not praying enough, exercising enough, and if you would just do more of it, it would help you with your depression. I entered into counseling having my own questions about medication. And oftentimes, I, we work with um, several churches in the Birmingham area, and I might be seeing someone who kind of same stage in life, same church, same gospel, same amount of kids, same everything. And these two people, this one is getting better quickly and this one isn't getting better as quickly and they begin to take an antidepressant which just takes the edge off and now they begin doing what they want to do and not what not what they don't want to do and they begin to pick up speed simply because their body's working better. Okay? So, for... And we'll, again, we'll talk a second about medication. But, so there's a biological depression, which is pretty much determined by your biology. Your body's not working well, okay? Then there's a developmental depression. A developmental depression, I want you to imagine it's one of those people, like I mentioned, who is just more melancholy by the way they're made, okay? I'm like that. And so that person in the third grade loves their teacher. And then their teacher in February goes on maternity leave. And they feel sad. And they look around and everyone's enjoying her going away party and they feel sad. Now they feel weird that they feel sad. And when they talk to their friends about it, no one in third grade is suffering with them. Okay? And then they go home and their parents are like, oh, you're going to love that new teacher. Why are you so sad? Now their natural bent is getting heavier and it's getting weighed down. And that happens again and again and again. And we call that a developmental depression where that happens for the next 20 years and they don't realize it and then they have depression and it's because it's developed over time. That's a developmental depression. And then a situational depression is simply you lose a loved one and you feel sadness and because you're in America and people don't do sadness well, you're doing it too alone, you're getting, your life's getting heavier and it becomes a depression. Okay? So that's the three types of depression. 
Any questions on that? Any? Yeah. Just very quick ones. Yeah. Uh, can, uh, can either a, a situational or uh, developmental depression, in fact, over time, produce reduction levels of serotonin, et cetera? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a passage I have in here under what we're going to talk about next, um, psychoactive or psychotropic medications, all... In a class this short, all I want to introduce is a biblical way to think about medication so you're not afraid of it. Guys, it can be overprescribed and it can be underprescribed, all right? We have a lot of people misusing computers, not because computers are bad, because we tend to be fallen and do things we shouldn't do, okay? Medication can be used wrongly. That doesn't mean we should be afraid of it. In fact, because the reason medic there's such things as medication, because there's a created order that is affected by the fall. And we can study people and come up with categories that help us provide healing. So medication is restorative and healing. It's a Christian thing. If there wasn't a created order, there wouldn't be a such thing as medication. So we've got to stop being afraid about it and stand up and be thoughtful about it and be involved about it and be engaged about it because it's really helpful and because it can be misused. We want to be present, all right? All right, so I have a verse there from Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. You know the first part of the verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know Him and He will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Now I want you to imagine someone who has a developmental depression. And they've shared a lot in their life struggles that people have not honored well. And they've learned to hold those struggles inside of them. How easily are they going to confront the wisdom in their own eyes? How easily are they going to trust someone outside of them to give them advice so that they step into it? It's going to be really, really hard. All right? I believe the Lord lets us go through difficulties that confront the things we've trusted so that we have to trust new paths. We have to have new faith. As we walk along those paths, it's healing to our body and refreshment to our bones. I'm someone, I think I probably had a little bit of less serotonin, but I had a lot of developmental depression. Okay, I'm, I'm a pretty deep feeler. I'm, I see things pretty well, and I grew up in a lot of pain that wasn't acknowledged, that I just took inward. Okay, a layman's definition for depression would be anger turned inward. All right? And I've experienced a lot of restoration in a way. Like I tried medication and about a third of the people will not uh, sleep on an antidepressant. I'm one of those third. And if you want to make me really depressed, make my sleep worse. Okay? <laughs> so I had to find a herbal supplement that really helped. And I had to do other things like... And when I'm talking with people about depression, I don't use the word exercise. Exercise helps, but exercise feels heavy. So I say, is there anything you like to do outdoors that gets your heart rate up? All right. <laughs> and I encourage them to simply walk and listen to a podcast. But I had to humbly take things that I thought I was too good for. And I had to reorder the way I was living my life so that I felt more buoyancy and was not depressed in mood as much. And it has significantly changed through the years where I don't take the herbal supplement anymore. And I, I actually, I'm in better shape and I'm lighter at 55, not physically, because I, <laughs> because I, I still probably take too much comfort from food. So I have a little more redemption to experience and then my weight will get even a little bit lower, okay? But I'm much lighter than I was at 
from mood-wise than I was at 35, all right? Yeah. You may talk about this later, but um, in terms of, other than medication, but um, interventions, for, if we're starting to see the developmental things either in our kids or mm-hmm. if you're a teacher mm-hmm. or if you're a doctor mm-hmm. or something, yeah. any other interventions? That's a great question. Is there other interventions? Um, I do. I do think being active in our culture, even for children, Kids don't, and time outside and activity for children is so healing and restorative, okay? But I find a lot of parents or school teachers, and and I, this is a hard thing, because I do some training for teachers, and I don't really believe teachers are responsible for the mental health of children. You've got to try to do as much as you can, but your job is to teach, not to be a counselor, okay? But being with people, and, and we can make a mistake where we can, make people weaker by making a big deal out of everything hard, but we can be foolish and not honor the suffering that our people in people are in. So with children, I think being with them in their difficulty and helping them name their difficulty, like where they're sad, every parent wants to take that sadness away. I'll give you a quick example. Um, as parents, we try to give our children gifts that they want, not that we want to give them. Okay? And our children are older now. And so normally our children got what they wanted, but our middle daughter wanted a cell phone on a birthday where we weren't going to get her a cell phone. But she was assured that we would get her a cell phone because we usually got for them what they wanted. Y'all, it was a terribly sad birthday. <laughs> we did not talk through the birthday meal. And everything within me wanted to go out and get a cell phone or tell my daughter to buck up and not just be sad with her that she wasn't getting a cell phone that she thought she should have. Okay, but we have a hard time with that. So I think some of the ways I'll talk about being with people hopefully would give you a category of even how to do that with children. Yeah. All right. Anybody else? Any? I have some pointers. We won't go over them about how to help friends with. Well, maybe I will go with them. If you're if you if you have someone, family member, friend who has depression or you think they might, recommend that they get an evaluation. Have the courage to suggest it. And if they're mad at you, then you can grieve with them that you hurt them and help them with their depression and tell them they should still go see a doctor, okay? (laughs) All right? Um, So helping them seek out medical help and help them to communicate more effectively. Help them to think about their symptoms and what they're going to tell the doctor, okay? Help them assess whether or not medication is working. I've asked this question too many times to remember. I've had a couple in front of me where one of the persons struggles with depression and has started taking medication. And I asked the person who's depressed, and remember, part of the depression is your life is blacker, harder, you don't see growth well. You ask them how the medication is helping, and they don't think it's helping at all. Then I ask their spouse, and their spouse lightens up and comes alive and be like, it's really helping, Okay. So oftentimes that person cannot distinguish if it's helping, and it may take some time to develop the humil- help them develop the humility to take that feedback that it is helping, but that's good feedback for them. Okay. The other thing is sometimes medication can be overprescribed or wrongly prescribed, so you're just helping them to hold taking medication. If it's helping them, help them embrace that. Maybe if it isn't, help them go back to the doctor. Oftentimes with an antidepressant, it's trial and error. I hate that. Okay, medical science is is a science and it's an art. Okay, and sometimes people have to be willing to try other medications before they get one that works. All right, if the medication helps, it's often easy to see that it's helping. Okay, any thoughts on that before we shift to yeah? How do you help a friend who's seeking medication from a bottle? Um, 
courageously with faith. That just that feels hard. Yeah, that feels hard. You grieve for them, you pray, and you try to be involved as best as possible. You know what's amazing? I, I said this earlier. I've learned better because I'm a counselor to help people. I've also been amazed at how much we work against good help. Okay? Like, people are paying me to tell them, and I think I know a couple things after a couple decades of doing this, and they're still resistant, and I'm still resistant to the help I need. So it can be hard to stay in there with people. Um, Yeah. Our flesh pulls us towards self-contempt, pulls us towards destruction, and we need help fighting that. Okay. So kind of a little biblical understanding to depression. All right. I have a quote there from C.S. Lewis. I'm not going to go all the way through it, but one of the things he says is if we find in ourselves desires that can't be met in this world, it's a good sign we're made for another world. All right? Guys, I want you to think that the deep longings of your soul, none of them will be fully met in this world. There will be disappointment in every relationship and in everything you do. Okay? All right? The best of... <laughs> this was after my daughter... After my daughter... Um, she graduated high school. We take her down to Mississippi College. We move her in. We get back in the car without her. And my middle daughter goes, do we just leave her here? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we kind of do. Um, at which point I began to weep and wept all the way home. And then um, the next morning, it was Sunday, and I get to church. And about 10 minutes in, I was like, I just can't be here today. And I drove all around Homewood to our old house in the ball field and wept and wept and wept. And I was weeping. We didn't go to the Grand Canyon, and we didn't do this, and we didn't do that. And, like, I think we were on a horizontal level, a half-decent family. (laughs) And she's a really good girl. And yet I had tons of losses I had to feel. Okay? And part of what I was grieving was just she was not going to be in my life every day. She's living with us now after graduation, so I didn't realize <laughs> that she would be a little bit more than I thought in that moment. But it helped me to welcome her new stage because I wanted everything as a dad and we didn't have everything, okay? And that just points to the, um, the third verse I have at the top of page three, okay? All right? Guys, it says this. Even we Christians who have the Holy Spirit within us is a foretaste of future glory. Y'all, when the Holy, the Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead, when He comes inside of you, you realize you're made for ultimate beauty and perfection. Alright? So all we Christians who have the Holy Spirit within us is a foretaste of future glory, grown to be released from pain and suffering. We too would anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as His children. Okay? We have desires in us that won't be met. We have to learn how to groan. You guys, oftentimes what I'm helping people do is live the life they are living, not the one they think they're supposed to be living. Okay? And it takes groaning to be able to do that. And we just have to do better at that. Guys, what that would simply look like is you talk to a friend, you, I don't know, you run into them and you ask them how they're doing, and they say they're not doing well, and you say, I hate that. What's going on? And then they talk about what's not going well. And you say, I hate that. I'm really going to try to remember to pray for you. And you walk away. You've just walked away feeling some of their pain. And they felt hurt, so they feel a little bit lighter. 
because your tendency to give them a quick solution minimizes the struggling in their own life. Okay, this is Larry Crabb. Quick advice feels like rejection. Okay, so anyway, so a biblical view of kind of depression is this: we were made for everything beautiful. We don't have it. We have to groan. And what we have to learn how to live like is aliens. Okay? You'd have to go back to the bottom of page two where I have another verse there. It says this. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have found an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Guys, I want you to pause and see what's being said here. Those people who can, can welcome God's promises, can believe eternity was set in my heart. I think this is... For me, a definition of a mature believer, someone who can want all good things while at the same time wait for those things to unfold. We're going to get everything good, just not here. Okay? So your face is set on heaven. You're wanting all good things. So you groan actually more at the pain of this world. Okay? And you feel like an alien and a foreigner. And God says, I'm not ashamed to be called your God. Okay? So let me make it practical. When you realize that seven-year-old child that you love has weaknesses, weaknesses that are going to cause them woundings and difficulties their whole life, and you don't turn into yourself, and you don't try to fix them and make them superhuman, you're acting like an alien and a foreigner. Okay? In your own marriage, when you see pain and difficulty that you've actually overcome and you're growing out of, but it isn't yet solved, okay? My wife is not much neater than when I met her, okay? Victor said this last time, last time when he introduced me. I, I went to undergrad to a military academy because I love discipline and wanted more of it, okay? I was a very sick individual. And my wife isn't any neater, and I love her more. Not less after 29 years. And that, my friends, is being an alien and a foreigner. Okay? I'm welcoming those promises from a distance. Maybe when she's redeemed, she'll be neater. And I will be much lighter and able to laugh a lot more. Okay? All right? So, a biblical understanding, all I'm really trying to get at is a biblical understanding of depression is anger turned inward where we're making ourselves pay for the fallenness of this world. And along a continuum, we all do that. Someone who ends up like with a developmental depression has just, they're that way more, so it's happened to them more and it shuts them down more. But on some level, all of our lethargy, all of our faithlessness, all of our unbelief oftentimes is supported by the fact that we're not groaning well in a fallen world. Okay? All right, let me pause. Any thoughts on that? Questions? Groaning? Yeah, yeah. That's what I, I try to do, like for me to groan, like that the house is never going to be as neat as I want on a regular basis. It just hurts. And so, like my friends who know me, I can talk about the pain of loving my wife and they don't think it's strange. I'm just groaning. 
Now, I can talk about how much he blesses me and like, it's both. But groaning is really just hurting about the fallenness of this world and naming it, describing it, even letting it impact you. Being able to say you're having a hard day is groaning and not covering that over. We're just talking about the deeper reality of the world being fallen and we're in agreement of that. Okay? I hope that helps a little bit. Um, all right. Okay, that's a great... All right. When I, when I talk, I love to teach about lamenting. I have a definition and I distinguish between grumbling and groaning. I think the difference, and there's a nuance, because a lot of our lamenting and groaning well begins with complaining. Okay? And we get better at it the more God redeems us. But there's just more self in the groaning. It's more about us and more about how we're not doing well, how our life's not going to work out, how, or, or sometimes because we do self-contempt or we do other-centered contempt where someone's just more bitter about everyone else. And if everyone else was better, the world wouldn't be fallen. So there's just more of a surrender, more of your countenance looked up to the Lord, more of you bringing your life to Him in the groaning and resting in Him, where I think the grumbling, it's more about us and it's our, we're more turned inward and we're more self-oriented. So I hope that helps a little bit. Yeah. How much does our American culture feed into the depression that you think, like the, the stresses of yeah. mass and work? And yeah. When I, when I do a family conference, I'll do a whole session about kind of our culture. Remember, the evil ones, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, there's a certain, the busiest family is the best family, the most active family is the best family, the happiest family is the best family. That's not biblically true, so I think our culture exacerbates depression a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your explanation of developmental depression resonates in that I understand that feeling of knowing that there's been an airplane crash and, and why yeah. can't I stop thinking about it, stop worrying mm-hmm. about it and move on with my day? How, how, one, how do we acknowledge that certain things or empathies make us, you know, are harder to get on with it and how do we um, bless our children who may feel that way and at the same time you know help them continue to, to move forward yeah that yeah so let me if I say the question back to you so if you're someone who's bent that way a little bit where you feel the, the fullness of this world yes. a little bit more deeply how do I kind of move ahead in that reality and help my children yes okay I think the way you move ahead in that reality is is having some some of those who can help you name the fallenness of this world where you're not carrying it alone as much and you're not feeling guilty as much that you feel that way. And then you also need a, kind of a means of grace, things that help you get outside your mind. Like, I'm a lot like that. So if I watch a movie, it would really help me. And earlier in the hard years of our marriage, I wish my wife would have said, we're not going to talk about it, we're going to the movie because you're just going to make it worse because of all your brooding, okay? So you need things that help you get outside yourself. They're what I call forgetful joy. The things the Lord gives us that helps us remember that we're made for the kingdom. So probably being with friends. Like if I'm working with someone with depression, oftentimes, a lot of time, I'm saying just go to the mall and sit if you have to, but just even getting out of the house can be helpful. So kind of both things where you're feeling more honored, for seeing and naming the difficulty of this fallen world, and you're doing things that help you stay buoyant in it. Okay? All right. Um, anybody else? 
All right. Oh, the other thing with, <laughs> let me just say this, and this will help you, because oftentimes someone who sees that clearly and that deeply, you can kind of see how what you're doing will actually hurt your children long range, and that makes it even harder. So just so we can all, if we're raising kids, if we can get over, we're going to hurt our kids. And I'll just give you a quick example. My middle, oldest daughter's counseling, doing some counseling at Mississippi College. We're talking on the phone, and she says, Dad, I'm learning things about our family, and I'm just trying to stay positive. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I, <clears throat> I said to her, well, sweetie, tell me a little bit more about that. And she said, Dad, in our house, everything is, oh, that's so hard and that's so sad. I was a little dominant and the culture of our house was a lot about, I didn't get to name all my pains growing up, so I made sure my kids did way too much. Okay, I've had almost the exact same conversation with my middle daughter. And what I said to both of them was, yes, you're right. And we failed in that way. And then I said this, and we're willing to keep learning, and it's been beautiful to watch you guys become a better version of yourself outside our family, where people have met you and welcomed you and called joy out of you, and you're moving beyond us. And mom and dad will follow you. We're willing to learn, but I think you're going to get much further than us, okay? So as parents, you can grieve that you're not going to be perfect, and you're going to have to trust that your children will find other things outside you to help them, and God will be ready to supply those things. Okay. All right. So let's talk in nine minutes about how we want to help somebody. Okay. All right. Okay. One, realize your presence, just your willingness. And, and here's what I mean by your presence. Guys, someone who's actually struggling with darkness, I want you to say, Lord, help me be willing to welcome it. Help me be willing to not be afraid of it. Lord, help me to be willing to shoulder it. Okay, because we're Americans, we don't think that caring for others should make our life harder. Because we're Americans, we don't think that caring for others should make our life harder. I want you to imagine walking away from someone feeling worse and they feel better because what they've done is they've talked about the weight of their life and you've simply listened and you've taken some of it into yourself. And now you walk away with a burden having to pray for them because you really feel what's going on for them. And they feel a little bit lighter because they've been hurt. Okay? But first of all, just being willing, I think, to welcome it. I have, I should have a verse there from Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. When have you been encouraged to feel someone else's pain in your own body? That's what I'm asking you to do. Okay? Just that willingness, I believe, gives you a presence that begins to push darkness away when you come alongside someone. Their countenance is lifted just because of the Holy Spirit within you. Okay, I have people who walk into my office and will begin weeping and say, I haven't wept for 30 years, and that is not me. That is the Holy Spirit pursuing them as they walk in the door. Okay, I believe I have nurtured a gift God has given me to suffer with people, but that's much bigger than me. Okay, your presence, an aroma of life or an aroma of death. If you become more willing to come alongside people and help them, I believe you'll have a presence that just simply pushes darkness away and their countenance is simply lifted a little bit by being with you. Okay, all right. Two, help them bring their depression to God. Y'all, I don't believe suffering is a theological problem. I believe it's a relational problem. 
If God is good and we are in relationship with Him and we're suffering, it's a relational problem. And I think some people need help voicing that to the Lord. All right? I don't have time to go through the other things I was going to say. But Job's friends, all right, they come to him and he's in such pain that they just sit with him for a week and don't say anything. Okay? And then, after a week, he feels, oh, these dudes are safe, I'm going to talk. So he pours out his disorientation towards God. And those three dudes go from good friends to bad friends. And the next 30 chapters, they have an argument. And Job is saying, it's a vertical problem until God shows up in my life, I will have no rest. The guys say, no, it's a vertical problem. You should have done this, your kids did that, this didn't, blah, 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 all horizontal. Job keeps saying, it's vertical, it's vertical, it's vertical. And he keeps complaining and lamenting. And he says things to God that you and I never dreamed of, would dream of, okay? And then you know what happens? God answers his prayer. He says, Job, you said, until I showed up into your life and reminded you how big I was, you would have no rest. People see that as shaming Job. It's an answer to Job's prayer. And then, later on, he says this to Job's buddy. If you go and offer Job a sacrifice and he prays for you, I will restore you because you have not spoken rightly about me like my servant Job. God affirms what Job said, his disorientation towards God, his confusion, his anger at the Lord, okay? And his friends didn't help him with that, okay? When someone's weighed down by the sin and darkness of this world, you guys, you don't have to defend the Lord. Let them feel that disappointment. Let them talk about it. You're being a mediator. You're standing in between them and God and bearing their suffering so that they leave with their countenance lifted up a little bit and considering God a little bit differently, okay? Um, I have a couple other things on there. You guys, there is deception. If you if you kind of if your presence where people are welcome to share things with you, you help them express some disorientation, there is a place to help them speak truth to the depression. Okay? I have a verse there um, from Psalm forty two. Why my soul are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? You guys, we don't speak to ourselves that way. When someone's depressed, it's their fleshly nature is big and it's weighing them down and they don't speak to the deception in there. Okay? You can help them. There's a place to help them speak truth to what's going on. But if you try to... Oftentimes what we do is try to speak truth too quickly and they don't trust us. Okay? So I'm going to give you a uh, mathematical equation. Three steps understanding, one step speaking. Three steps understanding, one step speaking. Okay, there's a place to speak and help them see truth, but they need to feel understood before you do that. Okay. All right. Any questions? I hate to rush through that like that. Um, You can read through some of the other things that might be helpful. That's why I give a handout. Any questions before we conclude? Yeah. What other resources would you recommend? I would even say specifically your resources that you might. Yeah. 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 Well, first of all, one thing would be on our website, there's an audio. Uh, you go to audio, it's free. You can download it. Grace from Head to Heart is a, is a, and I talk about lamenting in there, but it's a five-session series about, really, we grow most through difficulty, but we don't know how to do difficulty in America, so we don't grow. So that would be one help. Um, I could recommend a million books, but here's the one I love the most uh, by Gerald Sitzer, A Grace Disguised, How the Soul Grows Through Loss. Okay, Gerald's sister sits her a grace disguised. Right. There would be other resources. That would be a, 
I'm going to have to lament on the way back. I should have put resources on here. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll try to have some for you next time. All right? Let me pray for us. Let me pray. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help all of us do a better job being aliens here. Lord, will we really still fight and want good in this world? And we care about it. And yet at the same time, we're able to grieve at its fallenness, Lord. That we would live in the now and the not yet with more rest and confidence and hope that you're setting all things right and that we can trust that, Lord God. Please help us to become people who learn to hear you say you're not ashamed to be called our God because we can live like aliens and foreigners here on earth. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.